Welcome to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. I am Beth Shank, host of the podcast, along with our guest host, Dr. Shanda Demarest, as she explores nurses' experiences with the Nurses' Climate Challenge around the world. In this episode, Shanda interviews Dr. Cameron Kirsch and Dr. Sahar Nuradini. These nursing faculty have used the Nurses' Climate Challenge materials and participate in the School of Nursing Challenge. They have discovered methods and strategies to include climate and planetary health into the nursing courses they teach. Welcome everyone to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. Shanda Demarest here with the Nurses Climate Challenge, bringing you conversations with nurse climate champions from all walks of life. I want to extend a special thank you to the Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments for inviting us to be part of this special series and for serving as a co-sponsor of the Nurses Climate Challenge, in addition to the international nonprofit Healthcare Without Harm. So our last two podcasts have featured founders of the Nurses Climate Challenge in the United States, as well as key international leadership responsible for expanding the programming to Europe. And if you haven't had a chance yet, I encourage you to first listen to those two short sessions to provide an overview of the Nurses Climate Challenge, which again is the national campaign empowering nurses to educate 50,000 health professionals about the health impacts of climate change. And today I am honored to invite two very special guests from nursing schools in Wisconsin and California. And they will share their stories about their personal experiences as nurses, humans really, at the intersection of climate and health. And as these guests are both nursing faculty, we'll hear about their tips and tricks for integrating climate change into nursing education. So without further ado, I want to introduce our first guest today, and that is Dr. Cameron Kirsch. Dr. Kirsch is the director of the Direct Entry Master of Science in Nursing program at Viterbo University in La Crosse, Wisconsin. He's been a nurse educator there since 2017. And Cameron is all about integrating systems thinking, interprofessionality, health inequity, health equity, and of course, climate change into nursing education. And he's an ICU nurse by background. We will also be joined today by Dr. Sahar Nurdini, who is an assistant professor of nursing at the California State University East Bay, where she teaches masters, pre-licensure and post-licensure nursing students. She earned her doctoral degree from UCSF's Occupational Environmental Health Nursing Program. And Sahar is an oncology nurse and a public health nurse by background. So welcome, Cameron, welcome, Sahar, and let's get into it. So Cam, I'll share with my guests that I've known you for quite a few years. Um, the first time we met was in Teddy Potter's living room. And, and for listeners who don't know Teddy, she is currently the Director of Planetary Health at the University of Minnesota School of Nursing. She's a scholar in partnership studies and a longtime climate nurse. So Cameron, at that first meeting, I learned that you worked as an ICU nurse at Gunderson Health in La Crosse, Wisconsin, which was the first hospital in the nation to become energy independent. That was back in 2014. 
and my ears perked up. We chatted and, and soon found out that, you know, we shared this love for the natural, lo uh, the natural world and specifically the driftless area in, in Minnesota and Wisconsin. And so before we get deeper into conversation about nursing education, I'd love for you to share with our listeners what is so special about the area that you live in? What is it about the driftless area that draws you outdoors and connects you to the planet? And what does that look like for you to connect to the planet? Thanks, Shanda. Uh, it's an honor to be here to share my passion and to, to share this space with Sahar as we talk about climate change. And that's a great question, Shanda. Uh, what brought me or what connects me to the natural space that we live in here in the Driftless region? And I just want to double back to the comments that you made earlier about uh, meeting for the first time in Teddy Potter's living room. And that draws me to the first time I met Shanda. And it was in Teddy Potter's classroom. And I had always considered myself a rather climate conscious, climate uh, activist uh, as an avid cyclist. I lived in Colorado before moving to Wisconsin. So we were very well aware of the climate impact, um, both on water rights and obviously fires out in the West. But it wasn't until I met you, Shanda, that you connected it to healthcare. And I sat in that classroom and I thought to myself, how did I miss this? Uh, obviously, healthcare uh, is a big contributor to CO2 emissions and is in some ways um, contradicting its very own mission. And that really opened up my eyes to uh, the, the impact that nurses might be able to have on shifting climate change. So I very much uh, am very much excited to talk about this subject and I'll give you a little bit about the Driftless region. So the Driftless region is located in Southwest Wisconsin, Southeast uh, Minnesota, Northeast Iowa and Northwest Illinois. And it was a region that was missed um, during one of the major glacial periods, thus leaving a series of uh, dramatic bluffs and spring-fed trout streams that cut into the landscape and empty into the Mississippi River. And it is in this space that I find um, nature healing and a deep connection to the space uh, around us. And so um, I, would, I would like to say that there's a, a, a unique piece about the Driftless region that I just want to share with everybody. And it's this idea of algific talus slopes, and it connects directly to human health. And these algific telescopes are in the bluff region, and they actually are places where the bluffs breathe. And just hear me out here. The bluffs breathe because the ice drifts through, or excuse me, the water drifts through the porous limestone, creates a, and then freezes. And then in the summer months, it actually, uh, as it as it melts, breathes cold air, and you can actually feel these places, and it brings forward, or, or it actually creates an ecosystem that is almost unlike any other place in the planet or on the planet. So the uniqueness of this area and the longstanding um, uh, plant species and, and animal life that live in this area is unique, and it, it definitely connects or grounds me in, in the power of nature and the, the oneness that we have within it. 
Pam, thank you. I, I grew up in the Driftless area, which is why I know about it, but I did not know about the Elgific. I, I already lost the second part of, of that word, so we're going to need a link to that. That's super fascinating. Makes sense to us as, as nurses. Um, yeah, really compelling. I, I appreciate that. Um, and, and just before we started the recording this morning, the three of us were chatting about, um, you know, where we live and what it's like here. And, and you'll hear in a moment from Sahar referencing um, living in California. And it's, um, it's so imperative that when we do this work, that we root ourselves in the communities, in the geography in which we're humans. Um, so Cam, thank you. I, I appreciate that. So Sahar, over to you. I, I feel that I've had the opportunity to learn more about your area of the world as well, just a bit. My husband is a travel nurse and that has allowed us to spend time in many special places out West, including in your neck of the woods. And this itinerant lifestyle has, has actually led me to have a much deeper understanding of climate impacts in many parts of the US. So you live in the San Francisco Bay Area, which has certainly faced more severe climate challenges in recent years. So tell us what it's been like to live through some of the more recent climate impacts, such as heat and wildfires, maybe even how some of those experiences have influenced your work as a nurse. Sure. Um, so I think in order to kind of share my experience, I, I'll kind of approach this question from three different perspectives, you know, as a professor, as a nurse, and also as a mom. Um, I remember the wildfires. I want to say the first one that we could really feel in the Bay Area was probably about five years ago. And it was during the summertime and I was teaching clinical and uh, my clinical site, uh, we work at a site that provides care for um, the unsheltered population. And here you could see the smoke coming in and then just, you know, whenever there's smoke, you, you wanna try to distance yourself away, minimize your exposure, but how do you do that when you don't have a home, right? So having those that discussion with students um, and a lot of those clients already had chronic health conditions. And so they were particularly vulnerable to the effects um, and didn't have access to care. And so we had to discuss how this was gonna kind of shape our role. Um, there was a shelter they could go to, but in the Bay Area, you know, we don't have air conditioning because it's traditionally never been hot enough where you needed it. And so with that air conditioning, you normally get that help HEPA filtration. So we had buildings to go to, but no HEPA filtration. Um, and so people, even if they're indoors are still being affected by um, smoke. Um, I remember during that, you know, that first summer where there were fires, I still didn't, you know, it still wasn't a reality for me. I didn't know how to respond. Um, so I drove out to my clinical site and I'm seeing all of this particulate matter kind of in the air. And I have a student with asthma. So now, you know, I, I did end up sending her home because I knew of the health effects. Um, but that was something I hadn't considered up until that point. Um, and then, you know, more recently, you know, every year I have students that are being affected by the wildfires. And some, you know, I receive an email saying, hey, I can't come to class because I've just had to evacuate my home. 
And, you know, obviously we make exceptions and try to um, make it so students can still learn on their own time. Um, so starting to record more lectures and so forth. But then I think as a professor, you know, how can you, how can students learn when they're dealing with such trauma, right? Obviously having to evacuate your home is going to take precedence of everything else. Um, so that's a challenge that you kind of have to face as a, as a professor. And then, you know, for me as the mom, I have two children. So one's three and one's nine years old. And I remember that this last, or it was probably two years ago um, during the fire season, there was one day we woke up and the sky was just, it was orange um, and it was really eerie. And my oldest was just saying, it feels like we're living on another planet. And that just, that just breaks your heart, you know, because um, here we are dealing in the middle of a, you know, dealing with COVID there. And then now they're stuck indoors. They can't even go outside to play. Um, and, you know, we had our, some friends that were just so sick of being um, indoors with stir crazy children that they started pulling up maps, looking at, um, at AQI readings in nearby towns and trying to decide where to drive to so that they could breathe in fresh air. So um, the fires have absolutely had a huge effect, I think, in, in every aspect of life. Thank you, Sahar. I, I um, you know, I thought about climate adaptation when you were telling that story. You know, whether that's as a as a mom, find you know, adapting to poor AQI and having to find a different place for your kiddos to be outside, or adapting to um, education delivery with students who can't make it to clinical or class because of, of home evacuation. I mean, we talk about climate adaptation within healthcare as, you know, trying to address the health impacts that people experience from wildfires, extreme heat, vector-borne disease, et cetera. But adaptation comes in a variety of ways. And, you know, we're trying to do this simultaneously with reducing the sector's greenhouse gas emissions, that mitigation that, that Cameron referenced in the beginning. So this is complex. Um, thank you for, for kind of describing those multiple layers of, of how you, yeah, how you live in, in this world being, you know, so intertwined with, with the changing climate. So I, I want to dig a little bit deeper, Sahar, into your into your nursing education. When we did the introduction, you know, we referenced that you now serve as an assistant professor at CSU East Bay, and you led your institution in joining the Nurses Climate Challenge School of Nursing commitment in 2021. So tell us more about what led you to pursue that partnership and what has come as a result. Sure. Um, I am very thankful for uh, the Nurses Climate Challenge, as well as just all of the other nursing organizations that are out there addressing climate change. Um, you know, I firmly believe that a collective effort is needed to address daunting health issues. And I find, you know, Nurses Climate Challenge kind of provides that tool um, where, you know, I can work as you know, one member of a larger nurse educator community with the same mission, and that can just help in so many ways. So there are resources, 
um, from the Nurses Climate Challenge that I was able to use. Um, and, you know, I, well, I had a, let me just backtrack a second. When I developed my environmental health nursing elective, I wanted to have a starting point, right? And so a lot of the resources from um, Nurses Climate Challenge was really helpful. Um, even attending the um, educator meetings, kind of being around people willing to share their experiences um, and expertise is just really helpful when you're starting something from scratch, something that hasn't traditionally been part of nursing education. Um, and then, you know, we know healthcare contributes to greenhouse gas emissions. We know that healthcare is going to be a big part in terms of adaptation to climate change. And that can be particularly daunting. Um, so having this metric, this way of measuring um, how many nurses are being educated, how many courses are being offered, that's just a really, um, it, it kind of provides hope to kind of keep going. You know, you realize you're one small piece of a puzzle and just kind of together we are what we couldn't be alone. Um, so again, just that collective impact that comes with being part of the Nurses Climate Challenge has been really helpful. Thanks, Sahar. Yeah, ho hoping that this is an, an initiative in which the, you know, the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, drawing attention to this movement and to the important work that folks exactly like the two of you are doing to bring this work to students. So, Cam, like Sahar, you also led your school of nursing in joining the Nurses Climate Challenge. And as faculty at Viterbo University, how did you pursue convincing your colleagues and leadership that the School of Nursing commitment was a good fit for your students? Yeah, Shanda, that's a great question. And I'll say that I had a relatively, uh, I wouldn't say easy time convincing my colleagues, but the first thing I did is I connected it to our institutional values and our school of nursing values and our mission. And in, you know, a simple meeting, we, we discussed this, the opportunity uh, to, to lead in an area that we all agree is a key part of our nursing profession. Um, and we collectively uh, and uh, I think uh, unanimously, you know, decided to to, to join the, the Nurses Climate Challenge. And in doing so, there, there might've been a couple of discussions, not only around um, whether it's institutional, uh, it, you know, it aligns with those institutional values, but also the fact that this is what students want. Uh, I had taken a couple initial steps, <laughs> lo and behold, I had somehow slid this concept or this content in sideways to a course that was around death and dying. And around that, I mean, I, I consider this persistence. I wanted to share this and I wanted students to think about it. And in that experience, students really gravitated to the concept. And it's the, the generational problem that I think uh, many of our students, you know, much like ourselves are going to be dealing with. And I echo Sahar's um, comments about interprofessional uh, and multidisciplinary approach. I, I don't think that there's anybody on this call or anybody that's listening to this podcast that doesn't agree that it's going to take serious partnership 
between disciplines to tackle this issue. And so, you know, by, by getting students excited about it, I was able to share with my colleagues uh, how this connects to health, which really wasn't hard, especially when we look at the, the nursing meta paradigm. I mean, environment is right there. And in a lot of ways, I think it's just been downsized. And it's time that nurses raise this up as an equal part of that meta paradigm. And that resonated with our faculty and they really jumped on board. Uh, I'd also echo Sahar's comments about the educator meetings. Those are amazing. You get ideas, uh, you connect with other colleagues uh, around the nation doing this work, and you can put those things together and share what you've experienced and in a way that that can move this needle forward. Uh, and one one other key piece that I also like to draw or, or, or connect with with climate change and climate action really is this idea of, of connecting it to equity and social justice and when you make that connection, I once had a colleague. So one of the things that I specifically did is I started a book club on campus that was multidisciplinary across programs as, as much as possible, whoever wanted to join. And we read the book, All We Can Save. And it is a collection of essays, short stories, poems written by over 60 women, many of them indigenous voices to give power. And I love the, the, the comment on the book or the, the, the subtitle here is truth, courage, and solutions for the climate crises. And that's what I wanted to really focus on for students. And so connecting that, that activism piece that our students have around social justice and equity, because I don't think you can achieve social justice and equity without also looking at climate change. And students really, really gravitated to this. And a way for me to really connect it to the student too was talking about regional. Uh, many of our students who, who come to our, our university are, are within our, our geographical, you know, 100 miles radius around our campus. And so really looking at some of the um, um, impacts that it has in the small communities. For example, there's, there's a couple of small communities just south of here that have had I think two or three 100 year floods uh, over the past 15 to 20 years. Students can, they can see that, that's tangible. They understand the economic impact and the psychological impact that it has on the people in their community. And the problem I think most students have is they don't know where to start. And if you can just give them the, the impetus that it is possible to make some subtle changes, um, and then carry that into their everyday life, I think that it, it just snowballs. And the more students want and the more they connect it to human health, especially in our, our profession as nurses, the better we can, we can see that environment piece of the meta paradigm emerge again and be held at the same level as some of our other key components um, in that meta paradigm. So that was really how we approached uh, adopting the nurses climate challenge. And as I said earlier, our faculty were really encouraged or were really motivated um, to, to raise this up and to join this movement. For, for faculty or students listening or, or you know anybody really who is working this up through their nursing area of, of practice or education. I mean, both from Cameron and Sahar, we've heard many examples 
whether it's death and dying, interprofessionalism, environmental health, frameworks, paradigms. If, if your ears haven't perked up about, um, you know, opportunities for you to integrate climate change in, in your area of education or practice, we'll, we'll keep the examples coming. Um, but Cameron, thank you for that response. And you both have spoken to um, these faculty educator meetings. So I just want to take a moment to um, provide a little more information for listeners for, for about what that is. So as part of the NCC School of Nursing commitment, each year we have two community of practice sessions where we invite nursing educators that are participating in the School of Nursing commitment. Before each semester, we gather um, virtually and share best practices, have guest speakers, bring content, bring examples, bring problems, questions, concerns, and put heads together about how to better serve the nursing student audience. So, so that's really what those are about. So, so Cam, I'd love to sh shift gears here a little bit. Um, I mentioned earlier how Gunderson Health has been a change maker in healthcare related to environmental sustainability. And I know that nursing students at Viterbo have actually partnered with Gunderson and other health institutions in the region. So can you tell us a little bit more about how students are working that environmental sustainability angle? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, Gunderson um, Health System has, as, as Shanda has shared, been a, a, a major leader in this area. And I, I will give a shout out to uh, former CEO Jeff Thompson and a good friend of Shanda and I's, uh, Tom Thompson, who is the sustainability um, coordinator at Gunderson, who really saw this as the future. And, you know, they, they do everything from uh, you know, green energy from a biomass generator. They, they source a lot from wind and solar. But the one thing, and this is something that I recognized when I moved to the area and started working at Gunderson, because I had read about their uh, efforts in this arena. And when I showed up to the first, my, you know, first um, uh, day on the, in, in the unit, the one thing, and this is kind of funny, right? The first thing I recognized is that the bedpans were steel. And I thought to myself, how many times have I thrown away a plastic bedpan? And here we are recycling them and reusing them. What a marvelous, uh, simple uh, uh, intervention to, to um, mitigate single-use plastic, right? And that was my first uh, exposure into what green or carbon neutral healthcare could look like. And it started with something as simple as a bedpan, right? And then from there, I started to recognize all different kinds of things, whether it was the way we recycled uh, hazardous waste and medication waste um, to the way that, um, as I mentioned before, Gunderson sourced much of their energy. And so our students who are, are going to these clinical sites, and I would, uh, again, a, a shout out to Annie and many of the resources on their website. If you're a nursing faculty instructor and you're looking for outcomes or potentially activities that students can use in, say, a clinical site to connect it to uh, uh, climate change and uh, uh, climate action, there's a ton of resources on that website that I've used in my courses to have students uh, walk around. Tell me what you see. Where, where are we using uh, single-use plastic? Is there recycling in the cafeteria? What's on the, the um, cafeteria's 
um, menu? Uh, how many meatless options? How much food waste is going into the garbage? All of that stuff brings awareness. And that's what I think I really try to center, center students around when they go to some of these places uh, in terms of our healthcare partners, for them to focus on how they can contribute to, um, to mitigating the impacts of consumerism and especially within our healthcare system. Thank you, Cameron. Um, one, one thing I think about as nurses or health professionals when we walk into a health facility space is that so often for a variety of reasons, our stewardship behaviors that we may practice at home sometimes get checked at the door. In the same way that we would turn off the lights when we leave a room within our house or shut down your computer or unplug electronics or not leave the refrigerator open or close windows when you're running heat or air conditioning. Those behaviors don't necessarily follow us into the workplace. And whether that's a hospital or a university campus or a public health clinic, for example, we can be doing those same simple actions as mindful consumers of resources and energy. Um, it, it's, it's a very similar principle. Um, yeah, Cameron, I, I appreciate that. And I also want to share just a, a couple quick examples that I'm familiar with um, of students that are learning within School of Nursing partnership institutions that have um, approached some really interesting partnerships with health systems. So as an example, um, there are a couple instances of CRNA DNP students who have become really compelled by greening the operating room initiatives, basically um, opportunities to reduce energy consumption and waste production within the OR in particular. And some of those CRNA students have pursued um, reducing greenhouse gas emissions from anesthetic utilization within surgical cases. Uh, for, for folks interested, desflurane in particular is a really um, highly intensive greenhouse gas that's only used within the anesthetic um, realm. And DNP students have helped health systems in a few instances reduce their carbon footprint by phasing down or phasing out desflurane as an example, or clinical plastics recycling. DNP students have tapped into that. Um, some masters and DNP students have worked in the clinical space to build green teams and help instill some of those more sustainable uh, behaviors within their, their working colleagues. So the opportunities there are, are, are quite ripe. So um, shifting to metrics a little bit, Sahar, you've, you've referenced this a little bit earlier, and um, just like our, our programming with the Nurses Climate Challenge, you emphasize metrics collection as a key component that adds credibility to the movement and, and also to the course that you developed. I mean, you've been diligent to emphasize data uh, as part of that evaluation. So, so tell us a little bit about how you constructed your data collection with students pertaining to the course and, and what the students are saying. Sure. Um, before I answer that, I also just want to share one other tip for um, 
for partnering with outside institutions. Um, at Cal State East Bay, we partner with MedShare, which collects um, medical equipment from acute care centers that will no longer, you know, they're no longer going to use that medical equipment. And um, sometimes what the centers are going to donate are expired items that can't be used. Um, and so we've partnered with MedShare. We take some of their um, expired items and we reuse it in our clinical, um, in our labs, because, you know, the dummies uh, that are the mannequins that we work with, uh, it doesn't matter if something is expired or not. So um, that helps keep us from having to buy new items, but then it also helps to reduce footprint overall. So that was a really simple thing that we did that helped to decrease our, um, our footprint. Um, so in terms of metrics, uh, for me, measuring um, or evaluating this course was really important. So um, for my environmental health nursing elective, this was the first time it was offered. Um, originally getting it passed, there were some people that you know, weren't so sure if the course was needed. And so I really wanted to make sure that I had as many data points as I could have. And so one of the first ones was actually just looking at enrollment. I didn't know how many students would be interested in this elective. And my course filled up and there ended up being a wait list. And, you know, throughout the um, semester, I was receiving emails from students asking when the course was going to be offered again. So that was one way that I've evaluated just kind of the interest in the course materials. Um, and then because this was the first time I developed the course and actually it's just kind of a general practice, I always try to check in midway with students to um, make sure that the course is um, re relevant to their nursing needs because it helps to increase engagement and empowerment if you can do that. And this, if you give students buy-in, it's just, I find that they become that much more invested in the course. Um, so um, during that midterm evaluation, I asked um, questions that, you know, where students would rate the course, but also an opportunity for them to provide written feedback. Um, and I, again, I wasn't sure how it would go the first time, but in regards to some of the comments, um, the, uh, quite a few students asked, well, why is this course not a required course? This is a course that every student should take. And so I think that shows that students are really craving this material too. Um, and we shouldn't just leave it to an elective. It's something that needs to be integrated across all courses within our nursing program. Um, and then in the final evaluations, um, I had comments regarding students, you know, students were saying that they weren't going to stop now, that, that they really wanted to um, continue integrating environmental health in their workplaces, and they had already identified some projects that they could do. And I think that speaks to Cameron's point about empowerment of students and providing them the tools to do so. Um, in the future, I during the last meeting, the Nurses Climate Challenge meeting, uh, we had Dr. Shake speak speak about the chant tool. Um, and I think that's something else that I am going to be integrating in the course to see, because I want to also measure how likely students are going to engage in advocacy efforts in the future. 
Thank you, Sahar. As you were talking about doing some um, evaluation of how students were feeling about the course, I, I was I, very delighted to hear, um, of course, that they were, um, yeah, that they found it so compelling and were very committed to, to moving this forward. I, I flashback a little bit to um, one of the courses that I taught when I was an assistant professor at the University of Minnesota School of Nursing. And I was, I'll say stuck with med surge. That was a particular challenge for me, you know, as teaching that as somebody who approaches this work from the, you know, the planetary climate environmental perspective. You've got a tough gal teaching med surge. And a couple of the times looking at those evals, oh, I wish they would have said things like you, you know, reference there. But got a deep breathe sometimes before you look look a little bit deeper into to ways to improve that work. Um, but thank you. So so Sahar, in addition to um, the Nurses Climate Challenge, we'd, we'd love to just hear what are three resources as we close out that you share with your students to empower them to be nurse climate champions? Sure. Um, so um, I would say, you know, as, as Cameron mentioned, Annie is an incredible resource for um, nurses. It really, I mean, I continue to learn so much from that site and refer my students to that site as well. When it comes to, you know, environmental health issues such as climate change, again, it can be daunting. It can be incredibly depressing um, and overwhelming. And one site that I, I really do recommend for all students and, and nurses is um, it's actually a Twitter feed called Earth Optimism. And it talks about all of the good things that are going on, all of the successes that are out there. And I, you know, I find that that makes working within this field um, a little a little overwhelming and um, it kind of empowers you to continue. Um, and then finally, I recommend students look into local organizations um, because in reality, it's often a lot easier to make changes at the local level versus the national level. And that's not to say we shouldn't focus on national level initiatives, but we should, but there's a lot of work that can be done at the local level. And then hopefully over time, there's that critical mass um, where it'll be easier to bring issues and changes at that national level. Um, and then finally, learning from each other, just being on this call today and learning from Cameron, just some of the techniques that he uses and the book recommendation. Um, we really have so much that we can learn from one another. I love that. Find your people, find your close people and go from there. And Cameron, I want to invite you to, to spark yet a little more inspiration. So what are three actions listeners can take today to become more active climate nurses? Absolutely. I, I'll take a little bit of a page from my, my course that I, I teach and I, and I mentioned earlier about death and dying and how I wrap this in this topic um, around climate change into a course about death and dying. And I, I label the content for that course, the death of the earth, not really, it's the death of our ability to live on the earth. And so a key part of this piece is connecting our students 
to the, uh, the, the geographical region and the nature that is in the ecosystems that is right outside our door. So we often go for a hike. And so that's my one rec my, my first recommendation is get outside. And I take a quote from Aldo Leopold, who's uh, a, a rather famous Wisconsin environmental ethicist. And, and this is key to the, to the piece of getting outside or, or to the tenant of, of protecting the land that we're on. And what he says is, when we see land as a community to which we belong, we may begin to use it with love and respect. And so, you know, engaging our students, and oftentimes I'll take students out to the bluffs, or we'll go to the wetlands and the marsh, and we'll, we'll observe the ecosystems. And many of them say, I had no idea this was here. I've never been here. And it's that, that, that little connection that will hopefully spark a fire that they want to get out. And as Sahar mentioned, look into their community uh, organizations and see where they can get involved to make small actions in their community that will have massive ripples across the nation and across the globe. And it's time that we start doing that. So if you can get outside, Shanda, as you know, I'm an avid cyclist. I cycle all year round. So I don't take excuses like it's too cold or it's too wet to get outside because if you got the right gear, you can do it. And I guarantee you, you're going to be better for it. The other piece is a personal challenge. Eat less meat. Um, I know it sounds really simple, but it's something that I'm trying to do as well. And I think it's something that I think we, uh, we, can, we can make simple changes and it will have some really big impacts um, in, in the way we uh, in, in consumer and the way we consume um, some of, you know, uh, various meats and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, plant forward, veggie based. And then the last thing I also ask my students to do is, is a sense of awareness. And I ask them whenever you buy something or whenever you pull a plastic bag out of a, out of a drawer to put something in, I always ask them, where will this item be in five, 10, 15, 20 years? We all have behaviors that we'd like to change to help better support our planet. But if we're constantly aware of all the things that we do and the things that we interact with or the things that we purchase and recognize where they're going to end, then I think we can be more responsible in how we, um, in how we um, consume a variety of different um, products. And I think that goes directly back to that Aldo Leopold quote of, we begin to use it with love and respect. And change is constant and change is coming. And as we better prepare ourselves as climate nurses on this planet, um, by shaping our behaviors now to be more mindful participants in this ecosystem, we will be more prepared for the bigger changes that are to come. Um, so Dr. Cameron Kirsch, Dr. Sahar Nourdini, thank you both so much for spending some time with us today, sharing examples of how nurses can be leaders in this space, giving us a little more insight into the important educational work that you're doing every day with these nursing students. Uh, I am grateful to know you both and to consider you close colleagues and friends. 
So for those of us who are just tapping into the Nurses Climate Challenge or our faculty considering joining the ranks of Cameron and Sahar in the School of Nursing Commitment, check out nursesclimatechallenge.org. And for folks in Europe and beyond, do a little investigation into the international partnership as well. Thank you all for joining us today. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Shanda, Cam, and Sahar. It was great to hear about inspiring and innovative ideas for engaging nursing students, both helping them to cope with fears about climate change and preparing them for a career that will be impacted by climate change. A reminder for interested listeners to please check out nursesclimatechallenge.org and the School of Nursing Commitment. Thank you all for listening, and please tune in for upcoming podcasts highlighting nurse climate champions. Check us out at envirn.org, and please subscribe, comment, and share the podcast. Talk to you next time.